Hey there, James here, and you're listening to the Own the Moment podcast, the show where we explore the complex and always evolving landscape of marketing, advertising, and branding, and try to get to the bottom of what it means to be a truly memorable brand. The Own the Moment podcast is brought to you by Como Technologies, a self-service, complete customer engagement platform that helps you cut through the noise to truly connect with your customers and retain and grow those connections over time. With Como, you can build and deploy new campaigns, activations, promotions, and programs in days, not months. And our software is used by some of the world's biggest consumer brands from Heineken to Budget, Goodman Fielder, Foxtel, JLL, Williams Racing, and McDonald's. Learn more at como.tech. Hi everyone, James here, and you're listening to a special live edition of the Own the Moment podcast, recorded live from within Seven House at Sydney's South by Southwest Festival in late October of this year. Let's get straight into it. Um, hi everyone, um, welcome to this special live edition of the Own the Moment podcast. Um, it's my great pleasure today to welcome Justin Dry, the uh, one of the founders and CEO of Vino Mofo, um, an innovative wine retailer. Uh, from from here in Australia that is somewhere north of 50 million in sales um, and boasts a tribe of somewhere around 800,000 raving fans, something we're going to dig into today. Um, but I'd like to begin, of course, by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, uh, the Gadigal people of the Eura Nation. Um, and I must just apologise in advance. I lost my voice completely yesterday. Um, <clears throat> so you'll have to bear with my, my raspiness. Uh, today. Um, just before we start, who here has heard of Vino Mofo? Hands up. Who here has ordered wine from Vino Mofo? That's a good percentage. <laughs> um, so then I guess we don't have to explain too much what, what um, Vino Mofo is, Justin. Uh, but I want to dig into this idea today of building a tribe. Um, I think, you know, that's something you've clearly been very successful at. Um, before we start, are there any numbers you can share? I, I hinted at a few of the numbers I found online there. Is there anything you can say? Um, it's yeah, it's definitely north of fifty. Um, it's it's um, significantly north of that. Um, in terms of uh, mofos, the eight hundred thousand number is it's close to that. But that's one of those ones that have engaged with the brand over that period of time. Really, at the core of the business is about a hundred thousand people that are like regular customers, um, so active. So right. it's really a core of a hundred. Right. The eight hundred engaged with content and brand, etc. But right, customer wise. In a period of time, it's about 100k. Yeah, um, and so the you know the name of this session today is building a tribe, um, and this idea that you can you can foster relationships and turn customers into <clears throat> raving fans. Um, tell me, in the early days, Justin, what sort of strategies were you using to to um, to gain more than just customers and to Yeah, so um, before Vino, we had three other online wine businesses. The first one was a community site, which I basically found Facebook um, when it was very early. I got invited to it by a friend I was travelling with in the States um, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. How would I kind of bring that back into the wine space? I was looking for a new business. And um, so when I came back straight, we launched something called Quaff um, and that was like a Facebook for wine. You could rate and review wines. You could friend up with people that were interested in wine. You're sharing stories about wine. And so from that very first one, it was all about kind of connection. Um, and the next one was I filmed a show called Road to Vino, which I'd always wanted to travel around Australia in a combi surfing. So I brought that into my business um, and basically did that to wine regions um, and then diverted to the beach um, and drank wine at the same time. And we filmed it um, and got sponsored. 
uh, from Wine Australia and a whole bunch of other like tourism bodies and stuff, which mm. was amazing. Um, and that was about kind of connecting with the industry. Um, so we're kind of building relationships the whole way through. And then another one we did, which is less important, but it was a check-in app for visiting wine regions. Um, but all, the, all through those um, versions that eventually led to kind of Vino, um, it was all about bringing the community in. And mm. so we would always have these events and tastings and uh, wherever we were going and back at kind of HQ. And so I reckon we probably built the audience in the early days, very kind of one-to-one. Mm. Um, and then, you know, one to 20, one to 100. It was very small to start with. And then eventually we were like, oh, shit, we've got 20 or 30,000 people now. Mm. Um, and we feel very close and connected with the audience. And they felt close and connected to us because we'd built it pretty much in person. Mm. Um, and then so when we launched Vino, combining all of those businesses, um, when we kind of introduced our audience to, well, the digital wine guys, <laughs> introduced our audience to this new business, um, we kind of gave them offer of like foundational membership, like become a foundation member. Um, it gives you all these amazing things. You'll be mm. invited to all the cool stuff. Um, we had a thousand people sign up in, you know, like us. It was less than a day. Um, wow. And that kind of launched Vino. Wow. Um, any f- <clears throat> fun stories of the most dedicated or raving fan you've met or <laughs> encountered? Yeah, this yeah, this one's a bizarre one. Um, so there's been a few over time, but I had this, this really weird experience because we launched in Singapore in... 2017 or thereabouts um <clears throat> and w- one of the things that we did as in the early days kind of one of those unscalable things or it's hard scale was like handwritten christmas cards mm. um and we did that for our you know first couple of years um to everyone because we didn't have many people mm. um but then as we got bigger it was like a smaller percentage of the people we could do it for but it was a really nice kind of thing and it felt really connecting i had the whole team line up at a table and we'd pass a card between each of us. Mm. Um, we'd find out what they were drinking. We understood the person. It was very personal. Um, took fucking forever. Mm. Um, and mm. you, everyone's hands were like broken for a couple of days after. Um, <laughs> but what that resulted in, first year of Singapore, I did all the cards myself because I launched that market. Um, so I went over there and did the kind of the media thing mm. and all the events and did all the startup stuff. Um, and we, I wrote all the Christmas cards for you. The next year when I was... Um, I was in Singapore doing a bunch of other events. This guy comes up to me in the middle of, you know, those great um, food markets, mm. the cheap kind of food markets and taps me on the shoulder. He's like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, are you Justin from Vino Mofa? I was like, I am. Hi, how are you going? Are you a Mofa? He said, no, not me. I was like, oh. Uh, he's like, my grandmother is. <laughs> and I was like, are you serious? He's like, she's your biggest fan. And I was like, tell me about that. Um, and apparently she was one of our best customers in Singapore and I sent her a Christmas card. Um, handwritten from the CEO and founder and she had it up in her fridge um, ever since and everyone wow. that came over she would tell them about how she was really great mates with the founder and she was so connected to this oh. brand and it was this grandma it was grandma in Singapore it was what unbelievable was her favourite wine do you remember what uh, she was buying no god she bought a lot to be honest I don't even know if she drank that much I think she was just trying to support her mate <laughs> <laughs> that's um, beautiful um, speaking of um, the grandma um, what's the ideal customer you know, profile look for you today. Um, what did it look like in the early days? And um, yeah, and what does it look like now? Has it changed? What kinds of people are sort of ideal Vino Mofo customers? Yeah. So uh, when we launched, it was very much speaking to ourselves. Mm. So like we, I was early 30s um, at the time when I launched Vino. And so we were speaking about 
um, wine in a way that we spoke about it um, mm. amongst friends. And so I think it kind of attracted an audience kind of very similar. Mm. Um, one, you had to be quite engaged in wine, um, right. like, in, like interested. Yeah. So beyond like learning, like you're like keen to learn, kind of engaged or like proper engaged in wine, mm. um, but probably younger. Um, yep. So probably like mid-20s to 40 was the mm. kind of bracket. Um, and um, male-female kind of slightly male-skewed. Mm. But um, it was very much um, who we were and who we were hanging out with. Like right. everyone that was a mofo at that stage was like very much, you know, like the people that we knew and hung out with. Um, right. So that's where it was. Um, as we've aged, mm. our audience has also aged up. <laughs> um, and it's funny because we're still, we're still that 25 – kind of to 65 really it's that broad mm. um the the kind of common theme though as we've broadened and as we've aged out a little bit um is the kind of it's an attitude it's right. a, it's an attitude around wine which is like you know we're built on like no bow ties no bs yeah we're going to talk um, about that yeah cool <clears throat> um and let's just you know you can be super passionate about wine but don't be a wanker basically right. thing right. like we love wine you can talk about as much as you want you can be go as deep yeah. as you ever sniff want it, sniff it sniff it whatever yep. love it and speak about it endlessly like our business is a bunch of wine nerds like we love mm. it but we just got rid of the bow ties and bs like just mm. don't be a wanker about it don't try and make other people feel small because you know slightly more about them in right. wine, you know, that kind of thing. It's interesting. Um, like an attitude rather yeah, than a yeah. demographic. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and so it's people that fit with that because it's all about right. that and bringing some fun mm. into wine. And so people that were adventurous mm. were a little bit like anti-establishment, adventurous and wanted some fun was right. kind of that attitude that right. kind of fit Yeah, fun with feels definitely like a, a central theme of the brand. Um, yeah. To me, there's something just hilarious about a 65-year-old Ordering wine on a website called Vino Mofo. I, I don't know if that's Most, just me. Half of them don't know what it, what Vino Mofo stands for. Right. I think, <laughs> I think it's got, sometimes they, they come. We still have upset emails to this day of people going, "I just found out what your company name." Oh no! Is. Like, oh my god! Really? <laughs> sorry, I've been buying wine from you for years. Oh, sorry, <laughs> not going to change it now. Right. Um, so um, this week here in Seven House, we've been talking a lot about um, the power of positioning and brand platforms. <clears throat> on Monday, I had Optus on stage talking about it starts with yes. Um, Virgin Australia were here yesterday talking about wonderful, and of course, we're here in Seven House um, with their it's massive platform. Um, and you mentioned no bow ties and bullshit, which I. I guess that's sort of your platform, your sort of brand positioning. Um, talk to me how that came about and, and how do you um, uh, sort of activate that? I guess it's one thing to have a platform. How do you sort of put that to use and how does that inform everything you do? Yeah, okay. So the way that that came about was actually before Vino. It was the start of Quaff. And mm. so basically my like a lot of my family was in wine, not direct family, like uncles, aunties and that kind of stuff were in wine. So my ancestors, some of my ancestors planted some of the oldest vines in the Barossa. Wow. Um, so I've got that kind of – it's in my DNA. Um, I went and did a whole bunch of different things, um, but I did study wine at uni. Um, I then kind of worked in the industry before going out. So long story short is I knew quite a bit about wine from quite a young age. And so what you did back then, a little bit different nowadays, but what you did back then when you were super interested in wine – is you'd go to small independent wine stores to find the kind of interesting wines. Um, and so I would, as a 25, 26-year-old, I'd be walking into these wine stores 
And every time, and I knew a lot about wine for my age, you know, there's people older than me knew more than me, but like mm. for my age, I knew quite a bit. Mm. Um, and I had a lot of experience at it. So I'd be walking through these stores going, oh, I'm looking for something really interesting, whether it's Barolo or Barbaresco or some kind of Burgundy or something even mm. more interesting. Um, and so I'd be going in and there was always in those days this old guy, like in a white shirt and bloody right. bow tie and, and, he, and his entire job, I think, <laughs> was based on ma- like his self-importance, making everyone else feel small because he knew more than them about right. wine. And I was like, this is what everyone thinks of the wine industry. Yeah. This is why people hate This is why people snobs. fucking hate it, yeah. Mm. And I was like, this is exactly what is wrong with the wine right. industry. And we need to fix it or it's going to, you know, it's going to just kill itself because mm. younger generation not interested in that. Um, and so I would I'd walk in and even I was intimidated mm. and I was like, this is not right. I know more than most my age and probably quite a bit older than me and I feel intimidated by this. Right. And I was like, this has got to change. We've got to speak about wine in a different way with different, like, different language and kind of bring fun and get rid of all the bow ties and BS. Mm. Mm. And so that's kind of where that came from. It was like, we need to do it. We need to remove it. We need to kind of open up. You know, back then everyone was using that word democratise um, right. in startups, but we wanted to democratise wine, basically. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. What about death before Sauvignon Blanc? <laughs> Is that a, a, a <laughs> contender for a brand half platform? the people in this room, didn't Yeah. I don't um, think Mel's here, but... <laughs> um, so let, let's um, let just to be clear, there are some great Sav Blancs in the world. There, there really is. Just to be clear, <laughs> I've become, I've, I've become. Uh, uh, You're less, a convert. Yeah, yeah. No, oh, I've no. become less certain of my um, of my opinions in my uh, later age. Um, but so I think there is some great Sav Blancs. But that came from um, my uncle used to teach uh, viticulture at Adelaide Uni, and he was one of my lecturers um, when I was going through the study and. His description of Sab Blanc was, it's it's a fucking weed, because it grows so easily and produces fruit so well, and it the, it's you you have to kind of it can overcrop really easily, and it just you know for a lot of people tastes like cat pee, mm. um, and well, so that was one of the tasting notes yes. I remember for a while there. Yeah, yeah, cat yeah. Piece, yeah. Um, but it is you know what it's a gateway drug um, in terms of the wine industry, <laughs> um, so. <laughs> It's, 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 it really does – it's friendly, it's fruit forward, um, mm. it can be delicious and then most people that start on Sab Blanc will work their way into other ways. But I'm less fucking judgy than I used to be, I swear right. to God. Like it's – like back then it used to be like – it was a bit more of a statement because like Sab Blanc was for everyone. We're like, it was very not, big at the time yeah, as we're, well. We're not for every, you know, we're not for everyone, um, and that was kind of along right. those lines. Yeah, I guess counter positioning and yep. creating that niche. Yep. Um, it's like it's the Apple kind of right. You know, it's you know, it's the, the, rebels, was the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It's the, the, the Mac versus PC. Right. Um, uh, speaking of cat pee, um, one of the things I remember about the early years was the strength of the copywriting. Um, I actually didn't live in Australia at the time, but I remember oh, I, I um, found an email from you. Yeah, well, I subscribed. I emailed um, emailed Justin years ago because I subscribed to the Daily De- Deal emails because I thought the copy was just so good, and you know, as a creative, it was just um, great inspiration. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you guys think about copy and creative um, in in differentiating against um, the competition and yeah so I think uh, so from very early on we're actually inspired like I don't know if everyone knows the history of Vino this well obviously but we started as a deal a day so the three businesses that we started before that were not that and then we rolled into a deal a day so at the time Groupon was the fast growing company globally Mm. um, and their copy was actually really clever early 
it was like there was one writer there that was really, really clever and like that's that, and it, it was really interesting. We were reading it not for the deals but for the coffee. Similarly, mm, mm, like that's kind of cool. And then the second part was so one we were inspired by that. The second one was um, we wanted to change the way we were speaking about wine and so we had to think about who we were writing to differently than most mm. of the other players mm. or all the other players. Um, we had to think of the way that we did it was we thought about writing to our friends or family. Right. So one, we wouldn't bullshit. Right. Um, we wouldn't overhype. We would kind of tell the real story. So like, you know, when you chat to a friend or family about a wine, it's very different than if you were trying to sell them shit. Mm. And so that's how we kind of thought about it. We were inspired by Groupon and a couple of the great writers. And then two, we just wanted to be real, get rid of the Botas BS, get rid of all the kind of sell, 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 and actually think about this as in what would you recommend and how would you recommend this to a friend? Mm. And that's how it kind of Yeah, and from. I remember one of the things I remember, it was very sort of context <clears throat> driven. It was, um, you know, where should you drink it? Who should you drink it with? Rather than I, you know, I guess if you read anything else, Halliday or you know anything, it was sort of yeah, yeah, all yeah. about the notes. Yeah, and it was more about like almost kind of welcoming someone into a world. Right. Um, and it was um, what it was funny because we all had people that we would imagine we were writing to. So I remember um, uh, Andre had his best mate Yelly. I had my best mate. And um, Lee had a couple of his best mates. And so we would be thinking about that. It would be like me trying to write to my mate about why they should buy this one. Mm. You know, so like get rid of all the bullshit and just kind of be real. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so, Justin, you, um, you had a couple of years away from the CEO role um, to focus on innovation and um, uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, what do you think the biggest innovations um, or, or what were the things you innovated on with Vino that are sort of the, the reasons for your success through yeah. the years? So I think the key thing uh, for Vino's success early was, um, one, timing. Mm. You know, like it, timing's a big part of so many different stories right. of success, I think. But also it's the model. So we, we our business model and our language. So it's like the way we talked about wine with a model that was new that hadn't been introduced to the industry ever before. So, so talk was, a bit more about the model maybe for those that… So basically we it was focused on premium to super premium end of the wine space. Um, which basically means anything about in Australia is above 12 bucks a bottle. But um, let's just say that ours was $20 and above um, in terms of retail up to whatever. So premium, super premium, super curated. So basically most of the wine retailers, like if you think about what's Endeavour, which is Dan's and whatever, um, they've got huge ranges of wine. So let's say five, 10,000 SKUs, 20,000 SKUs through marketplaces. Mm. So super focused. So like premium, super focused, and with that focus um, curation in that part of the market with our numbers of people behind, we had tremendous value because we could buy more than anyone else could. So that was basically the model. So it was like um, focus on a, a part of the industry, that a part of the um, uh, focus on the space that's premium, curate it deeply. So instead of trying to put your volume across 20,000 SKUs, put it across 200. Mm. And that volume and the size of our audience allowed us to buy more wine of that wine than anyone was mm. in the space. So and demand a lower price. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And so basically what we were doing is we were buying more of that wine than anyone in the country. That's including the majors. So wow. any of the wines that we feature, um, we'll be buying more of that single wine than anyone. Right. And that's is that still true today? It's more true today than it's ever been. It's, wow. Yeah. How many SKUs would you be sort of nowadays? Currently, we're like it's a rolling Roughly, thing because yeah. things come in and out. Right. Um, but you'd probably be sitting at about two hundred. So instead of ten or twenty thousand, we're two hundred at any one time, and they roll in and out. And so it allows us. So the disadvantage of that model is if you love something, 
you're probably not going to be able to come back and get it from us again. Right. So if you're, if you're into the adventure of wine and having epic wine for an epic price, we're an amazing business. <laughs> hmm. if, if you just want the same bloody Sav Blanc every week, we're not for you. So how do, you, so, um, how do um, like customer purchasing patterns look in that? Are people buying you know, new SKUs almost every time? Or Yeah, uh, there's very few wines. Like They come back. So like I was right. just talking about, we've got an event on Friday. It's called WTF Sale. Um, understand what that stands for um and so what that means is we want all of our mofos to go what the when they see these wines so on friday we are dropping like insane wines like like penfolds grange penfolds saint Honoré, like clarendon hills like all these iconic amazing things at half price so can we get a uh, early yeah. early uh so you so and you know the, uh, but what the point to that was not to pitch the sale but go and check it out um <laughs> The, the, the point of that was St. Honoré comes back at least two or three times a year. Mm. And when it does, we'll sell a thousand, a thousand um, cases in, you know, like 20 minutes and then it's gone. Right. Um, and, but, but you can get it again two or three times a year, but it's not always in. Because if, if it was always in, all the major competitors would find out that match the price then they'd try and charge back to the supplier for the amount of money they lost because of us. It's just not sustainable. So we've got to go in, go hard, get out. Right. Is, is it a limiting factor to growth that you can't sell the same bottle of Sav Blanc every week to, to that customer or? Oh, I um, think depending on probably for a certain type of customer, right. absolutely. But we're right. not trying to be all no. things to everyone. So we, sure. like I said, it's about that kind of, you have to be a little bit adventurous with us because we're going, the, the, 15 or the $20 bottle of wine that fits in your category price point style is going to be the best wine you can get for that price anywhere in the country at that moment, but you're probably not going to be able to buy it again. <laughs> so, or not for another three, six months, you know, we right. might, it might pop in again. Right. Um, I want to talk about <clears throat> um, how you guys um, sort of win attention, cut through and some of the PR work that you um, are known for. I want to talk about uh, two projects in particular. One is Homeless Grapes. Um, talk a little bit about Homeless Grapes, uh, uh, where it came from, what it is and, and why you think it sort of works ultimately. Uh, so the Homeless Grapes uh, is a project that was started in, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And basically what it was, it was a mate of ours um, who is a grape grower, winemaker in McLaren Vale. And there was a year, it was a hot year. There was a lot of grapes going around at the time and there was um, a bunch of vineyards that weren't going to get picked. Mm. Um, so the, the grapes were just going to fall off and be wasted. And wow. so um, uh, uh, this mate put a post up on Facebook and said, there's a whole bunch of amazing A-grade grapes, like top quality grapes, um, and the, they're available if you donate something back to charity, mm. um, give something back. And we're like, cool, we'll take it. Um, we'll get our community behind it. We'll go and pick them all. We'll make a wine um, and then we'll sell it and 100% of the proceeds will go to charities. Mm. And so we did the first one. Um, uh, we did the first one. It was a McLaren Val Shiraz. 
uh, and went to a homeless kind of charity um, in Adelaide. Um, and then we rolled it out the next year. It was such a big success. Like the whole community came. Like, it was incredible. We had like three or 400. We had to limit the people that came to pick because we were picking in 15 minutes. Wow. You know, it was supposed to be like a half day thing and <laughs> we, we got all the grapes in 15 minutes. Um, and then the next year we did it again because it was such a success. And we the first year I think we raised like 30,000. Like we didn't charge for anything. Like mm. We covered all the other costs. Winemakers covered the winemaking. Barrel guys covered the barrels. Oh, the wow. Like everyone contributed to this thing at no cost. And so the $30,000 worth of wine we sold went straight to the charity. Mm. Then the next year it was 60 and we did – then we rolled it out in four different states um, and did like a Hunter Sem, a Yarra Chardonnay, McLaren Val, Shiraz and a Kunawara Cabernet. Mm. Um, and, and that's a project. We've done it every year since um, and it's it's been a great – it's been an amazing project. Um, now we've got – you know, we've, there's a there's – four lines of homeless grapes wines and 100% of the proceeds go to charity. So mm. it's a great one. Mm. And, and I mean, it's that perfect combination of doing the right thing but also <clears throat> having a, a story to tell and, and PR cut the, through. And, and bringing the community together. Right. Um, like, you know, um, we bought an events company last year mm. and that was all about kind of spending time with our um, audience, like mm. our uh, mofos. And that's mm. one of those things that um, – that project has done for right. us is like bringing everyone together for a really good cause, all hang out, having a sausage sizzle or whatever, mm. um, and just getting to know each other and you know, spend time it's, together. It's funny, like in an era of you know, um, you know, mass personalization and all of that, it's sort of the, the value in just getting together, yeah, you know, still works, yeah. I think it tribe. does. It's just how do you the, the challenge is how do you scale it to sure, to, and it's it, it just becomes. Um, it becomes incredibly tricky, but you can still do it in ways and you can use, you know, tech to kind of help. Mm. But um, I still think it's such an important part. And for all the middle years where we kind of like outgrew the ability to do that and we're trying to find ways to maintain it, we're going full circle and going right back into it. Right, back to the roots. Um, I think one of the other really interesting, um, I guess, product innovations was black market deals. Um, talk a little bit about that one um, and sort of just how significant it's been for the business and, and I guess its role in, in marketing, uh, building hype, creative. Yeah, so black market deals, for those that don't know, is, a, is our version of secret deal. Um, so basically, you we won't reveal... A label, so we'll sell that with like a like a, a bottle that's kind of hidden, and it will be like it's a Barossa Shiraz. It's ninety seven points from Halliday. It tastes like this. It's this vintage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Um, and so, how that began was when we when we launched Vino in eleven, we were doing one deal a day, and they were kind of open deals, and they were through friends and connections in the industry, and. We started getting some really good traction really early, and so who the people that didn't like that were the majors um, and other competitors, obviously. And so every time we put up a wine, because they're well-known wine brands, um, the suppliers would get a call from someone, won't name any names, um, and uh, it would be take down that wine off Fino Mofo right now. We're going to pull all your wine off our shelves. Um, so basically, risk your entire business by doing business with mm, Fino Mofo. Crazy, crazy. And so we're like, oh my god. Um, and so we would have people calling us up and kind of getting upset, um, like crying, basically like mm. uh, for fear that they're going to lose like one of their major kind of channels. Mm. And so we would pull the wine down. Um, we'd sell enough to a point and then we'd get the call and go, oh, God, and mm. we'd pull it down um, and then we're like, oh, God, now we need to find a, a second deal because the mm. site's blank because we're a deal a day. Right. So we'd put a second deal. That's how we found out doing, you know, more deals a day equaled <laughs> more revenue. Right. Um, 
And, um, and so we did, we'd put a second one and then they'd get a call and then it started happening so regularly that we're like, this is actually a real challenge for the business, like sustainability of the business because um, at some point they're going to have called everyone. <laughs> right. And, you know, and we literally, this business that's shooting and we're like, we're so excited, let's not stuff this up. And then all of a sudden we're getting this challenge where we're like, we might actually run out of supply. Hmm. Um, so what we did, we were like, what can we do? And so then we're like, well, how about if we like didn't let anyone know what it was? It was like we did a secret deal um, and we're like, but are people going to trust us enough to buy a deal without actually knowing what it is? And we're like, well, if we give them the 97 points and it's this style and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so we did it. We tried it and in that day it was called The Secret Deal um, and the first one we launched sold twice as many as any other deal had previously. Wow. And we're like, we might be onto something here. Let's try it again and we did it and it worked again. And so basically we doubled sales overnight from doing a secret deal. And then we were like, why is that? It was because it was fun and exciting to try right. and work out what it was. And so all these forums popped up online. Like they're all trying to work out what it was and like share secrets and go, oh, I just heard it could have been this one or someone knows someone who, you know, they know who they bought it off and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it was all about this like sell this dream and you will get – and then there was no restrictions on the brands we were getting also because brands were like, well, no one even knows that you're selling it for half price right. and I'm moving this many wines. Right, and so all of a sudden like we've got more supply and more people interested and the whole internet in the wine world's talking about it um, mm-hmm. and we're like, fantastic. And that was purely driven by our competitors trying to close us down. Do they still try and um, figure out the – You know uh, what? They start. They became our one of our best customers because they would then buy all the secret deals <laughs> um, to then tell the people off. But by then it was too late, um, and so it was fine. And so people kept dealing with us. And then um, uh, we'll say, yeah. So um, it was so funny then looking at um, the number of deals they were buying, mm. um, and then eventually we got to a point where we were so big that producers would then say to the competitors, like, no, yeah, we're not like pull us off. Right, because there's enough here to right. risk it, and you're not gonna you're not gonna pull effort everyone off anyway. No, oh, that's really really interesting. Um, it's sort of testament to where you're at now. Um, on that note, um, you're obviously no longer a startup. You're somewhere between fifty and approaching a hundred million in revenue. So I want to talk a little bit about how you're tackling that shift, how the marketing um, has changed. Um, what do you do now that you know you didn't do back then? What can you no longer do? You talked about scalability. Talk a little bit about where you're at now, <clears throat> how the marketing looks today, um, and maybe how it you know differs from early days. Uh, so marketing, what we're doing today compared to what we're doing earlier. So it was really easy at the start. <laughs> it was a lot about referral um, mm. because we didn't have any money um, mm. and, um, and we had such a good, tight, connected audience that referral was the biggest um, kind of um, new customer channel for us Mm. Um, and then what the trick for us was we got onto social platforms really really early Um, and when they started providing advertising channels and we got on those early or new tools we got on them super early Mm. so we're always like right in really early testing because there was all this kind of like it was a land grab early right. um, for all of these things. So it was all about getting early testing and referrals. Mm, Gary Vee talks about that a lot. The yeah, sort yeah, of the um, yeah, the sort of the early opportunities on new platforms. Yeah, and, right. and we lived it. Like we lived it with Facebook and Twitter and Insta. Right. Like we lived that. Um, that was yeah. My my sense is the brand was very much built around you guys yeah. early um, and all the content you were doing. You talked about Road to Vino, which was brilliant. All all the other stuff. Is it less so today? Is it more? Is it less about you? More about 
Yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those like strengths and weaknesses of a business. Like right. When you go, when you're very early, and one, you don't have to pay yourselves anymore when you do <laughs> stuff. So you just get in front of the camera and do it. Um, but also, like it was heavy kind of content early mm. was powerful. So mm. on the social platforms, you just need content, 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 mm. and we were doing that really, really early. And not many people were, and not many people were speaking about it in the same Especially way. Especially not in the, the in industry. Wine. Yeah, yep. in wine. Um, so I think it was. Absolutely, very content heavy. It was very kind of founder focused. Mm. Um, uh, I think then, um, as we scaled a bit more, we stuck with we stuck with heavy content until probably sixteen, seventeen, mm. and then started looking at kind of return on investment. To be honest, right, um, and focusing where the best return on investment was. We still are a content sure. business, but we would probably produce. 30% of the content we once right. did. What, what is the best performing without sharing anything you can't share, but sort of how does the mix look today? What are the most successful tactics? Yeah, I, today and it shifts, at, but at the core is meta. Like mm. meta is very powerful for us. Um, Facebook and Insta. Um, at times Twitter's been good or X, whatever it's called now. <laughs> um, and then you've got... Um, uh, they actually no, they would be our main channels. We've gone like super broad when we've mm. had like big budgets in years where it's growth. Mm. Um, we're currently in a, a year where it's bottom line, um, and so we've kind of focused and 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 are spending on the kind of best returning channels, and they at the moment are Meta for mm. us and, 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 par- and some great partnerships. And that's PPC sort of performance yes. ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you talk about partnerships. How do those? You know, Those are things what? like that with an aligned audience. Like we've got, um, you know, partnerships with people like Amex and that kind of thing. So it's more kind of getting in front of those audiences. Right. Um, or doing kind of uh, projects together. Um, but uh, to be honest, the, the how that we are performing – so we're, we're still growing year on year where most of our com- other competitors are not. Mm. Um, but the way we're doing that is um, through our meta spend um, and that's kind of um, – the way that we do that is just – it's faster, there's more creative, mm. um, there's more testing, there's less kind of adherence to I'd probably say like the brand principles were willing to talk about the brand. It's all aligned but mm. it's in different language because people react to language differently. So there's a lot of testing and a lot of creative and a lot of velocity and that's kind of where we're winning in those channels. Mm. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Um, you mentioned before you've acquired a couple of businesses, um, Revel, um, Pinot Palooza, Mold, Piccolo. Um, t- talk me through the strategic thinking behind all of those. They're maybe not immediately obvious um, to everyone and how that plays into sort of the growth story moving forward. You mentioned a little bit about events. Yeah, so we bought a company called Revel. Um, Revel had within its portfolio Pinot Palooza, which is a, an event series. Um, it's actually on this weekend in Melbourne. Mm. Um, and it's like the biggest Pinot event uh, in Australia, at least, probably globally, but um, it's just Pinot lovers. It's over three or four days. It travels to Perth, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide. Oh, not Adelaide this year. Um, and, and then they also had Mold, which is a cheese festival. Um, we launched Piccolo together, which is a no and low alcohol event. Um, wanted right. to test the space to see what it was interesting and the best way to do it was put something on. Mm. Um, and so we did that. Um, the way we think about that was it's audience generation. Right. 
um, and engagement. So um, as that skill set, we brought that into our business. The guy that started it, um, Dan Sims, has mm. been a mate of mine for 10, 15 years. Right. Um, one, I just wanted to work with him. Um, and two, I like what he was doing. I love the brands he was creating. Right. Um, and it's, been, it's a great business, um, mm. really good business. The reason we brought it in was audience generation and the skill set that we could then launch Mofo Live, which was an event that we did for our own audience. Um, we did the first one at St Kilda Town Hall um, about a couple of months ago, mm. um, which was a sellout um, and was amazing. So we got to meet. We basically brought the online experience of Vino Mofo um, into the real world. Right. It was so cool. So we'd had like black market stand where people got a chance to guess um, what the wines were and then like revealed them through the day so they could buy them. Mm. We tasted everything that we've, we're currently selling. We did um, a, a Grange kind of tasting where – um, there was like five glasses, one was Grange and you had to tell us which it was and if you did that, you got a glass of Grange um, mm. and so doing that throughout the day was really fun. Right. I mean, it does sound very much like <clears throat> back to the roots, um, you know, more sort of capturing people where they are, building more sustainably. You, um, is Vinomofo profitable today? Yes, know. very. Yeah. Yep. It is, yeah. it's, um, we did, we were probably... The, in, over the last five years, we've been profitable four of them. Yeah. Um, so we had... Uh, we had a growth, couple of growth years where we we're making lots of money, but we we're spending lots, so mm. barely profitable. Um, and then one year where it was negative. Um, this year, very good, mm, brilliant. Um, <clears throat> there's obviously been a lot of speculation in the press about IPOs and and the like. Um, I know you probably can't share much, but what does the future hold? What do the next few years look like? Um, so it's depends on market conditions, to be honest. Right. Um, but at the moment. The ambition is to be the big number two in the market, the challenger brand. You've got Endeavour, the evil empire, um, <laughs> and we want to be the big challenger, the brand to that. You know, um, there's obviously Coles Liquors in the market, but um, they're not the same scale um, as uh, as Endeavour Group mm. are, which is Dan's and BWS and all those mm. ones. How far off number two are you? Uh, not far. Mm. Um, to be honest, I think we sell more wine than Coles online. Um, wow. And there's only one other retailer that's kind of near us um, in terms of numbers. Like we'd be two, three times bigger than everyone else. Mm. Um, there's one which is naked, yep. but they sell to a very different audience. Right. And I think – is this being recorded? Uh, yes. Uh, I'm not going to say it then. <laughs> Smart move. Um, interesting. Um, I want to move on to the uh, – what I sometimes call the quick fire round, sometimes it becomes the not so quick fire round. Um, Justin, what is your favorite marketing campaign of all time? Any uh, brand? Oh, what's the um, t- oh, two uh, by Apple? Uh, the um, Think Different. I love that. Yeah. The Think Different ad. Um, and what's the other one? Um, you spoke about Mac versus PC yeah, one, uh, exactly. before, yeah. yeah. Mac versus PC and think different. I, I, they're so inspiring. Yeah. Did you see Justin Long did the PC side recently? No. Microsoft hired. Oh the, no. The Mac guy oh, cool. to play the. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, that's kind of disappointing. I thought. No, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, what's the best brand in the world right now? What What brand inspires you? Uh, there's so many better people to ask this question than me. Um, look, I think Nike's incredible. Right. Like the Just Do It thing, the like the tribe that they build, I think that's amazing. But, you know, I don't really. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think a very good example of a tribe sort of driven marketing. Um, what's the most overrated trend in marketing right now? <clears throat> what do you seek of? Probably instantly I go, there's so much data in the world and everyone's collecting data and talking about data, but very few people actually use it well. Right. So I think right. that kind of, oh, we need another tool, we need some more data, like mm. that thing is completely overrated. Right, makes sense. Uh, the opposite, what's the most underrated trend? What still works that everyone ignores? <laughs> uh, what still works? Um, like speed, I think. Mm. Um, like if you look at – and also like not being – uh, perfectionist is probably like just speed, getting things up and testing them and going into platforms early. Um, like if you see the number of, the number of ad tests and creative we go out with, mm. it's mind-boggling, mm. um, and that's how we that's how we get such good results through right. these channels. Thanks for listening to the On the Moment podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And to suggest a guest or provide feedback, please visit our dedicated podcast hub at ownthemomentpod.com.